And I talked to the boss. I said, boss, I'm taking in you know, X amount of dollars to the bank every day. And I did the math and multiplied it by 365. Just doing quick math. I'm dividing it labor. I'm taking the rent out. You know, Are you making any money here? And he goes, no. And I'm like, oh, I want to make money. Yeah, and yeah. Not that I, I, I need money to live. Not that I like want to like whatever. I'm not trying to like buy a third home or whatever, you know, vacation in the, the Rockies or this and that. It'd be nice, but I'm not trying to do that. Right. And uh, he goes, oh, this is not, this is not my main business. This, I just have this for the community and to employ people like yourselves. But I'm, I, I inherited my dad's yacht sales business back in the, you know, five years ago. I'm selling yachts for $900,000 wow. a pop. <laughs> I don't, I don't need this coffee shop to be successful. And I'm like, I do. How you brewing? It's time to get ground to earth. I'm Josiah. And I'm David. And today we're here with Joel Eastlick from Eastlick Coffee Roasters. We need, we need to add in the applause, applause right there. Applause, applause. <sighs> Thank you for having us in your warehouse today. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, here we are. This is a beautiful space. I'm ready to try some green beans, you know, just straight up, you know, no, no processing or anything like that. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a good dentist? Uh, is it, uh, they're hard, I'm assuming then. Very hard. Extremely hard? Yes. Okay. Don't want to jump the gun, but I mean, that, that was a thought in my mind. I yeah. might try that, but uh, I'm going to scratch that from the idea. We were on the phone on the way here and he was like, he was like, he, he's, they do coffee importing. They import coffee. Like that's what I they would. do. It's like, I have so many questions. I yeah. do. We're excited to talk about a whole bunch today, but first, yes. we're going to start with what's in the cup. Joel has brewed us a beautiful cup of coffee this morning, and we're going to guess at some of the flavor notes. Can we cheers it? Yeah, yeah we let's cheers. cheers. All, right, All right. As you know, David and I have no idea what we're drinking, but we are going to do everything we can to talk about and, and decide on what this coffee tastes like. Listen, as many times as I've done this now, I should be better at it. Um, we're guessing at, as to what the roaster says the coffee tastes like. I but have I yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I have the bag of coffee with me, but it has the tasting notes on the back side. So I can We'll oh. see it after the end. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay. Yes. All right. We'll have to bring it in. We've already had Joel's coffee on the show. I think episode one or two. I really don't really know. It was it was in the first couple of episodes that we had your coffee. I went to Spatty's coffee yeah. out in Seminole Heights mm -hmm. and picked up a bag. So I was like, I have to have Joel's coffee on the show. Um and now we get uh, the luxury of having you here. Yeah. I get the luxury of having you here. Yeah, really, you're having us here, yeah. and and Thanks we get to out. talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Listen, here's what I would like. It's just we're good trying to guess right together. Now. You say things, and then I'll just affirm that. <laughs> no, I, I'm out. genuinely <laughs> interested as to what you feel like you're tasting. From uh, this coffee. Well, initially, I, I'm starting broad. Initially, I felt like I tasted something fruity. Okay. Do you, feel, right. do you taste something for Yes. You? Okay, all right. So that's affirmation that. for me. Okay. Yeah. But now I got to figure out which family Hon is a fruit, a fruit. Honestly, like the first fruits that come to mind are like either like a black cherry or a plum. Maybe even a 
I'm just gonna look at Joel for. See, he's he side eyed. He's like, I mean, I'm not I'm gonna get it poker off my, face. Yeah, he he, right, he right, really right. is. No, I actually, I I like I like that you use those notes. Okay, I'm, I'm enjoying this cup, and I'm that is it's very good. It's pushing me in that direction. It's very good. Yeah. Though. It tastes roasted. It doesn't taste green. Yeah, <laughs> it you does know? not. <laughs> I feel like I have an unfair advantage because I do go check out the coffees um, oh, yeah. pretty regularly, so I see I see what's out there. I, the, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna totally second your I'm gonna say black cherry. Okay. Yeah i I feel like this is either like Peruvian coffee or Brazilian coffee. I don't know why, but that is like that's what I'm getting, and also almost like like fig. I get like a fig taste. See, I need to taste more figs then. I I haven't had, I've actually really only had like fig Newtons. That's it. Like that, that, that's what I'm tasting. My parents actually have a fig tree in their yard and it's, it's producing good fruit right now. Really? And you can see like the connection to the fig Newton, but it's a fresh fig is, it's actually a little more floral. Okay. Um, Very sweet, almost like a papaya. Um, mm. Fig Newtons are all molassesy, right. sugary, sure. you know. But that when I think fig flavor in a coffee, I think the Newton as well. I don't, yeah. I don't think the the fresh fruit off the tree. All right, cool. Um, I, I'm going black cherry. That's how many tasting notes? Should there you? are three. Three, okay. Which is it's a struggle within myself, you know. So sometimes I taste two clear notes, yeah. but like to keep uniform with all so the rest three. of the coffees. Well, I've got to put three. Every right. coffee has three tasting notes, which is not true. You know, <laughs> some people do the body for the last one. Does this have a descriptor for like, no, the, no. Okay. Mouthfeel. Right. right. I am. Um, I'm, I'm saying black cherry. I'm, I feel like plum is way too close, but that was like my gut. You're saying plum. We can go with black cherry. Okay. And fig. Okay. And then, a, and then a, a third. Yeah. Can is I there see the bag actually? Do, do you taste anything? Cocoa at all to you? I, it's, 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 it's more like earthy to me than anything. Like a, okay. Like a leaf of some kind, like a green. Or like a, or like, um, like a, last time, I'm trying to think. Would it be, hmm, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I, it now, now it tastes like a flower to me. Yes. Um, going, I, I'm, I'm just going to stick with like floral. Going lavender or something? Um, no. Like, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I can't pinpoint exactly what Listen, it is. Listen, I want I you to guess floral. hardcore because I'm tired of the one being wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to guess with straight confidence. Okay. We said black cherry, fig, and I'm just going to say floral. Can I say that as a note? You could say floral. There's a, a trillion flowers, but. There's so many flowers. Floral. Are there, are there, is there like a, like a few typical flower. flowers that you would would call upon if you're looking for a note. The thing about flowers as tasting notes is how many of us out taste there know flowers. what flowers taste like. And even smelling, you know, like right. there are some very strong, like jasmine, for example, yeah. is a very clearly like fragrant flower. Yeah, right. And uh, that is a note that I often associate with geisha coffees. Mm. Okay. So, um, but I'm sure there's, thousands of other flowers that I've never smelled that are very common to other people but I'm just like I don't know I don't know the difference um it's it's funny we'll get back to flowers in a yeah, second okay. but I usually when I do my tasting notes I either lean jasmine for like a really really huge floral scent and I lean hibiscus when it's more like of a tropical 
That's what I said. You know. But I'm content with where we are. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Because all we have to do is get at least one right to know that we have... And I want to talk more about flowers anyway. So achieved let's, right. some let's kind of up. progress. Yeah. Okay. So what are the what are the final three? Okay. I've, I've heard a couple. I said black cherry. Black cherry. Fig. And you want to go floral. Floral. Broad. Yeah, why not? No. No, no to, not any, to no, any of it. To none of them. Okay. okay. All right, no. <laughs> Where's but, the coffee from? I love what you're saying. This is the coffee. From Brazil. Brazil. You did guess that. You did that. call it, yes. Um... The notes I have on the bag currently are fudge. And you said cocoa oh, earlier. I was hoping oh, just, I was hoping it. you were going with cocoa. Man, and I always go chocolate and I always get oh. chastised. Fudge, mandarin, mandarin orange, yeah. and an apple. So, apple was it was the trickster from that that black cherry. Or even or even the figginess to me. Yep. There is my first sip on this coffee was big citrus to yeah. me. So that definitely there's there's a, an orange element in there. Which wasn't said at all at the table, so I thought right. that was interesting. But black cherry often will have it will express itself with some nice acidity, um, and it's my roast style, and maybe the fact that it's a Brazilian coffee, kind of fruity, it will lean in that direction. I think black cherry is a great note. You guys kept saying it, and I was drinking. I was like, I'm actually gonna put that in the bag. You guys are right. Um, no, the flower. I had honeysuckle. It oh. was like a like a just a mild flower. The little hint of honey, you know, um, a, a soft, sweet floral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This coffee is um, from Brazil, but it was the the fermentation recipe was designed by a woman uh, named Aida Batier. And she is a cup of excellence champion from El Salvador. Wow. She has sold coffee to all the big roasters all across the country. Intelligentsia, uh, counterculture, not no, yeah, counterculture, um, Blue Bottle. They've all used her stuff for the last 20 years. Wow. Um, what she does now is she basically designs fermentation protocols for other farmers across the world. And she's traveled to Africa. She's learned some 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 methods and this is an ethiopian style processed coffee but grown and processed in brazil but according to ethiopian washing standards so it's it's very different from your standard you know historical brazilian production so the fact and we think ethiopia the birthplace of geisha coffee the birthplace of all coffee you know floral you drink a cup of great good ethiopian coffee it's super floral yeah so the fact there was a little hint of flour in there I'm like, all right, the process was working. Yeah. So the fact that you said I was very happy with, but it's not by any means the predominant note. Yeah. No. So it was the very last thing I felt like I tasted. Yeah. Once it cooled down a little yeah, bit, exactly. yeah, it's kind of snuck in there at the end. I was, when I originally put it on the bag, I was, I'm like, you know, with tasting notes, am I willing it to be or is it like, right. is it actually there? You right. know? Some of tasting notes is, you know, I think it's, I think it's deep back there. I'll, I'll put it on. So. Right. Wow. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, well, it was an excellent cup of coffee. So thank, thank you. you very yeah, much. Thank yeah, you. That was awesome. There's a little bit more. Go out. Like, yeah. Please. I, I just want to say every single time I've gotten to spend time with Joel, <laughs> I leave like inspired to learn more about coffee because there is like a wealth of knowledge and understanding that you have, but you've mm-hmm. also never claimed to be somebody. No. Like, Although to me, you are somebody. Thank you. In no, coffee. Um, but at the same time, I think what's really cool about every interaction I've had with you is you are continually trying to progress to learn more and more and more. Um, yeah. But what I'm, what I'm really, really interested in, I don't know if I know too much of the story, 
but like your journey with coffee had to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, and, and I know that Eastlake started in New York. Yeah. And you made your way here as far as Eastlake Coffee Roasters, but there yeah. was a Joel Eastlake a long time ago, a yeah. Joel and Renata that mm-hmm. found coffee. Yeah. And I, I'm interested, where did it all start for you? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, being inspired. I mean, I, 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 I just have knowledge and it, it's good to share it, you know, yeah. and the more, uh, and it's not like, like a mission or whatever. It's just like, I want to sell more coffee and I want more people to enjoy my coffee. Yeah. So one way I found that works is that I can tell the story of where this coffee comes from. Oh, well, I can buy whatever brand coffee for 10 bucks. Why is yours twice the price? Well, let me tell you, yeah, you know, exactly why it needs to be that price. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sticking an extra $10 in my pocket. Right. You know, it, 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 it goes much more beyond that. And then having this knowledge that I'm just, I'm, I'm a sponge. I'm, I actually studied history in college. So I'm, I'm a nerd for those type. Of, I, I'm, I love maps. You know, I'll just look at, you know, I'll get on Google maps and just, swipe all over the place and just look yeah. at stuff you know google yeah. earth is like a such a fun a tool for me yeah yeah so yeah the the fact that if i can help tell these stories that give more context to what we're drinking and it, it like the ritual you mentioned earlier when i was like pouring the i love coffee coffee is very yeah. special to me and if we can make it it is something we drink every day yes but if we can slow down half a second and enjoy it just a little bit more right and create a little bit more of a depth of connection with that then, then it, that's just gonna keep growing that desire inside of you to, to wow, this is I, I want more. I, I, I need to learn more. I need to know right. more. Um, so the fact that I have an outlet, you know, to be able to share stuff like that and actually lands with people and it's not just yeah. like glazing over, right? Uh, it's it's nice to hear. So thank you very much. It is contagious though too, because yeah, you can tell you. that it's just like real for you that you're that interested mm-hmm. in it. And yeah. every single time we've gotten together and talked about coffee, and you've invited me into this space, yeah. Like I've just gotten way, way, way more excited about coffee, mm-hmm. but mostly because there are other people in the room that are just as excited about it. Yeah. Um, but it has sent me going to to learn more yeah. about where my coffee is coming from and mm-hmm. who's a part of the process and and what the history is behind that coffee. Yeah. I mean, coffee has made me a better grocery shopper. Coffee has made me a better uh, supporter of restaurants. Coffee yeah. has made me a better neighbor, you know, yeah. like, if you if you really start to boil it down and break it down, it's like yeah, there's a lot that when you think about how many hands have touched this bean before it even came to me, before it even got to you, yeah. you know, like it's like oh man, I got I got to do it justice, you know. Yeah, it's traveled a long way. Yeah. So, but yeah, speaking of traveling a long way, little segue. Yeah, um, I grew up in Florida, um, moved to Tampa as a teenager. My dad got a transfer of a job, and we just ended up here and. Uh, kind of putzed around town for a little bit, met a few friends, and it was cool. I liked my life, didn't really know what my direction was, so I, I kind of quit everything and moved to Spain when I was 20. Um, I was going to college, uh, and then I was just like, it wasn't working well. <laughs> you know, I, was, I, I skated through high school, and then I got to college, and you can't skate at college. Mm-hmm. It was like, I mean, I don't mean literally like skateboarding. I, right. mean, I was just like, it's e- it's, high school was easy, you know? Yeah. College takes a bit more. And college is like, oh no, I, I can't just I have to focus. And I yeah. was not focusing. I, I couldn't, I was getting not good grades. <laughs> I was like, maybe I need to hit reset on something. So yeah. I ended up uh, moving to Spain for almost uh two years. And what part of Spain were you in? 
It was right. I was in the the state of Madrid, about thirty minutes outside of downtown. Okay. So you got Madrid City, and then the community of Madrid they call it. Why? Why state. Spain? Why Spain? I had studied Spanish in high school. Okay. Um, this was right after nine eleven, and I was I was also curious about the the larger Islamic world, and Spain was right across the water from Morocco. Yeah. Um, and I was able to get down to Morocco for about three months while wow. I was in Spain. And uh, just once again, just trying to be a sponge, learn yeah. about the world around me, see the see things I didn't know and yeah. uh, challenge some of the preconceptions that I had been given to me, um, uh, especially in a post 9-11 world. You know, you yeah. turn on the TV and it was just like, Muslims are bad. And I'm like, right. probably not true let me let me go experience this for myself you know mm -hmm. and um spain was a good place to kind of do both of those things yeah. learn spanish speak spanish i had done three years spanish was the only class i ever got straight a's in <laughs> in high school yeah wow. i got i did That's well awesome. in high school but the only one i ever got straight a's was three years of spanish and i should um, know a lot more spanish from my <laughs> spanish that i took in high school uh -huh. so i commend you yeah, i took seven years of spanish and Whoa. i have recently just being inspired by watching other people like learn other languages. My brother's learning French right uh -huh. now. I've wanted to really dive into Spanish. And my fiance is Cuban. Oh, and a, a lot uh -huh. of her family is speaking Spanish when I'm around them. Yeah. And I would I would love to participate. <laughs> but also I would just love to expand my ability to experience the world. Mm -hmm. And especially living in Florida. Like yeah. to be able to speak Spanish would be huge. Yeah. So that's that's really, really cool. Yeah. To kind of tie it all in Coffee is a fundamental part of the, of the Spanish daily life. You know, the just the way life is structured, the way that, you know, people live very close to each other. It's a very walkable culture. You have like the town square, the town plaza that, you know, there's 10 coffee shops, you know, in any direction you go. And everybody's starting the day off with a shot of espresso or cafe con leche or something. And And I didn't know any of that culture at all. I at that time, coffee to me was my parents' Folgers. You know, it was their Maxwell yeah. House, their their decaf or, you know, whatever that they would just put in the Mr. Coffee. The morning Starbucks, this is how old I am. Starbucks at the time was not on every corner. There was there were Starbucks uh, around, but it wasn't a part of the national culture and like the same way it is today where you drive by a Starbucks and there's a drive through with 20 cars around the block. You know, that That did not exist at the time that I'm talking about. So I didn't I didn't know coffee. Yeah. Coffee smelled bad. It tasted bad. You know, it was it was creamer, <laughs> you know. And then you moved to Spain. And I moved to Spain and everybody's like, let's go out for coffee. And I'm like, no. Can we, is there anything else to drive? Take a can right. of Coke or something. Coffee? And they're like, you don't like coffee? And then I was like, no, it's terrible. And they're like, you've never had Spanish coffee. Of course, every country says that now. Right, right? Right. You've never had our coffee. Right. But it's basically very similar to Italian coffee culture uh, where you... You go into the bar, put a euro on the counter, and then you the, the the barista, who's usually an older man in Spain, starts working their magic, and you know you hear the, the the tamping and the the milk steaming, and then they present it on a saucer in this little glass, clear glass, with a spoon and a little sachet of sugar, and I'm like, this is this is gorgeous, like, like the the aesthetic of the. Yeah. I'm a twenty something year old, super young, and once again, is a different different time. Like, I'd never heard the word aesthetic. I didn't know, like, what aesthetic meant. 
but like it was it was reaching that experience was reaching my heart and i'm sure. like this is fun yeah and and it's good and it you know obviously sugar makes anything better anyway <laughs> But I'm just like, can I have some more? You know, yeah. yeah. And then it was like, it cost a euro, which is like a little more than a dollar. All right, I'll, I'll take three cafe con leches, and I was just sit there talking with my friends, drinking coffee, and I'm like, it just something hit me, and I'm like, this is this is what I want to do. Wow, I want to do this. I don't know how, I don't know what it means, but I want to be in an environment where I can like copy this, not copy like steal, but like right. just like I I love this experience that it's offered me, and I want to be able to offer this experience to others and I think there's a way to make a life out of it. So that was really my coffee story at that time. I came back to the United States, finished college, worked at Starbucks throughout college. And of course that gave me a whole different understanding of, of coffee. Um, then the economy crashed, Starbucks was closing shops. I had just gotten married and I'm like, uh, I, need, I need a real job, you know, which that's stupid. <laughs> what's a real job you know but that was the idea back in the time i need a real job so yeah. I, I worked i worked at a couple different office jobs over the next course of three or four years but i couldn't stop thinking about coffee mm. at that time i was in miami and my parents were here in tampa uh, panther had just opened up yeah buddy brew had just opened up so this this new thing that i had only previously seen in like san francisco or chicago on you know little like weekend getaways or whatever you see this like, you know, my wife and I, our first sort of our one year anniversary trip was to San Francisco. And I went to a place called Blue Bottle. Mm. And it was there was a line out the door and the coffee was in immaculate. And they had all this expensive machinery and everything was glass and brass. And I'm just like, this isn't Starbucks. This isn't right. Folgers, you know, mm. and you start hearing about this thing third wave, you know, mm. you start seeing that there's a, a change in the air about what coffee could be and then i was like this is it whatever it is i have to do to be a part of the third wave you know it sounds whatever trite at this point but because it's been so long but uh that was really the thing that made me go this is so much more than i ever thought it could be yeah i need to participate so did, did, was that like blue bottle experience reminding you of your spanish experience it, it built on it okay yeah yeah the, it was a it was like a fusion of like the line at Starbucks. I worked at a very busy Starbucks and, you know, I, I saw the ritual of my customers that they'd come in, but like the, the elevation of the product and like the, the reverence for like the serving in ceramic, for example. Right. Um, it was a whole, I was like, Oh, we don't, we don't do this at Starbucks, you know? And it did remind me of the time in Spain where it's like, Oh, this is, this is a, an aesthetic. This is something where people, this is for pausing and enjoying and 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 like savoring as opposed to starbucks which is like in and out you know paper can i have, yeah. a, can I have a double cup but i have another sleeve uh -huh. you know like right. can i get a small and a large you know extra cream 12 sugars like that was a whole that was a different thing that i wasn't in love with so it for me it was it was the pause it was the slowdown it was the creating an environment where you can actually like meet with friends and enjoy a cup of coffee together that blue bottle did remind me of, of Spain. And that was something I was like, I, I want to be a part of this. And then of course I saw it happening in my area as well. And down at Panther in Miami, right. they were really doing the same thing uh, up here in Tampa. When I would visit my parents on, on, you know, vacation, we'd go to buddy brew. Yeah. And that was really, that was, I was, I was like, that's it. I have to, I have to quit 
I have to quit my job <laughs> because I can't stop thinking about coffee. So I got a job at a local shop in Fort Lauderdale um, that was serving Intelligentsia. It was the only two places in all of South Florida to get coffee was Panther or this place I was working at yeah. called Brew. And uh, it was a manual, you know, La Marzocco. I learned yeah. how to tamp. I learned how to do pour overs. You know, I learned how to do latte art. And uh, shortly after that, about nine months later, we uh, moved to New York. My wife and I moved to New York. Yeah. She's an actor. And we kind of looked at each other and it was like, it's now or never for yeah. trying to do this this acting thing. And uh, right at that time we were making that decision, Sprudge came out with an article and it's still online if you want to go look for it. I do. It's, I do. It said, if you want to work in coffee in the United States and learn your craft, move to New York City right now. Really? And I didn't move because of the Sprudge article. We right. had already made the decision, but I was like, oh, this is convenient. Right. And and once we got there, it was absolutely, I mean, the, the scene was totally exploding. There was opportunity on every corner. Roasting was taking off. Um, it used to be, you know, two or three, four companies that kind of owned the whole town when it came to roasting. But then um, that was really at the beginning of like all these really a lot of smaller companies roasting for themselves. They'd have two or three stores. And then instead of buying from a wholesale roaster, they said, oh, let's rent some time off this machine somewhere and roast for ourselves. And I ended up working with one of those companies uh, six months after we arrived. And that began my roasting you know, journey. Okay. And I worked with them, Ninth Street Espresso. Mm -hmm. um, they're one of the first you know, specialty coffee shops in, in Manhattan. And at the time, they had four stores. I think they bumped up to five before the pandemic. Um, I don't know the situation now if they had to close any of, of the newer stores or not. But I, we were doing 2,000 plus pounds a week at wow. the roastery, you know, supplying you know, five stores in New York. And I just had a lot of time to, to learn how to roast, you know, because 2,000 pounds, you, you got you to sit there at the machine and do it. And you got to do it repeatedly and make, you know, do the same roast every single time. So the coffee tastes the same week in, week out for the yeah. thousands of customers that be enjoying the product. Right. So when you when you first got in, uh, or up to New York and you said it was six months, did you directly go into working for roasting or did you no. do any other? Like, I worked. I, I was managing the coffee program at a bakery. OK, um, the, just to, they were the first people that would hire me yeah. at the rate that I needed to be paid to actually live in New York. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. Um, could not move to New York and make minimum wage, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had my nine months of experience at, at Brew in Fort Lauderdale and kind of parlayed that to this bakery in New York. And I was, they were very happy to have me. They gave me the managerial role right away. I was able to basically get my feet wet, learn the scene a little bit, um, make money to pay the bills and and started going to a lot of like citywide events for coffee for baristas and just started kind of getting the lay of the land who's roasting who's go getting into roasting who uses this brand or that brand yeah um one lesson i learned at the shop in fort lauderdale was you know i we i was i was taking the money i was the manager i was taking money to the bank every day this is also this all these stories date me so much because <laughs> you know there's so many like they don't even the places don't even accept cash anymore. But like right. we definitely were taking like a little bank envelope oh, yeah. to yep. the to the of cash. And I was I did all the counting every day and I'm I'm counting the numbers. I'm like, that's not a lot of money. And I talked to the boss. I said, boss, I'm taking in, you know, X amount of dollars to the bank every day. And I did the math and multiplied it by 365. Just doing quick math. I'm dividing it labor. I'm taking the rent out. You know, are you making any money here? 
And he goes, no. And I'm like, oh, I want to make money. Yeah, and yeah. Not that I, I, I need money to live. Not that I like want to like, whatever. I'm not trying to like buy a third home or whatever, you know, vacation in the, the Rockies or this and that. It'd be nice, but I'm not trying to do that. Right. And uh, he goes, oh, this is not, this is not my main business. This, I just have this for the community and to employ people like yourselves. But I'm, I, I inherited my dad's yacht sales business back in the, you know, five years ago. I'm selling yachts for $900,000 wow. a pop. <laughs> I don't, I don't need this coffee shop to be successful. And I'm like, dang it, but I do, <laughs> you know, with right. where I'm going, my trajectory, I don't know how to sell yachts. My dad wasn't a yacht salesman. So right. I was like, I need coffee to work for me. I yeah. said, what, how, how do I make it work so that I'm not constantly like trying to figure it out? Obviously, I agree with the hustle, you know, like I'm mm. not I'm not talking anything against that. But like you just need you need to live. Right. right? You need to live. And I left a, a desk job that was very safe. You know, I had health insurance. I had, you know, I wasn't making a ton of money, but it was coming in every two weeks. I didn't have to worry about anything. And now I left that for a minimum wage plus tips job. You know, it's like, how did how am I going to make this work? And he goes, the first thing I'd recommend when you go further in your copy career is to make your own brand and to make it about who you are you have to tell your story in business and i was like oh and he's like you got to find your people and i was like i never thought about that i never thought about making anything about me i've always been about the cup you know i've always been right. about like no talk about the farmer talk mm -hmm. about the taste talk about the origin i don't i want to be faceless you know but he's like no if you if you want to you got to cut out middlemen you got to own your own product and i was like i never thought about that and then the analogy basically is, you know, what's a more profitable company? Not even profitable. What, what, what company is making their mark more, Foot Locker or Nike? Everybody would say Nike. Right. Mm -hmm. Billions upon billions of dollars. They, you know, sponsor athletes. Isn't that Foot Locker just sells Nike mm -hmm. shoes, you know? But if Foot Locker goes out of business, Nike keeps going. Right. If Nike goes out of business, Foot Locker has got to figure some stuff out. And I was like, that was the the story that really, okay, well, I, I guess I need to not be Nike, but like right. not be a Foot Locker, you know? And Foot Locker's done very well for themselves, but I, to have a coffee shop that you put your mark on, that you can serve the coffee that you're passionate about, roast the coffee that you're passionate about, source from the, you know, personal relationships and just, instead of yeah. just reselling somebody else's stuff. Um, that was the lesson that he gave me. And I, I was like, okay, I guess I got to learn yeah. how to roast. I wasn't really ever passionate about roasting. I was. I wanted to be a barista. I just imagined myself being this old Spanish guy, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sixty years old, just doing the "Here's your latte," you know. But then when I realized, yeah, it's tough. Uh, I I said, all right, well, I guess I need to figure something else out. So I started to roast uh, for another company because I didn't know anything about roasting, and that was a year and a half, two years at that company before I launched Isla Coffee Company. Where, Literally, and and you took that to heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is your name is the brand. It is. Yeah. My wife and I, we sat down and we're like, what are we going to name it? And we like, <laughs> we went over all these names and everything felt cheesy. Everything felt mm -hmm. like not real to us, you know, and uh, taking that advice in mind, just, you know, you got to do something that's real to you. I was like, well, my last name is different. I don't know. And if you have our last name, you are family. That's the sort of, it's not like Smith, right. you know, where. Right. Where, you know, it's a very common last name. East Lick is a weird, rare last name. And uh, 
you know, lick, like kind of has something to do with the tongue and, and, you know, coffee you taste with your tongue, you know? So I was like, maybe there's something quirky there, you know? And it's easy to say. It's two syllables, you know, and, and you We're see. We're in the East. Yeah, yeah. That Some people always, oh, it's because you're, you're in New York, right? And I'm like, no, that's my <laughs> last name. But yeah, that's why we went with it. And then when we looked and we were like, what about Eastlick Coffee Company? And we were like, yeah, that feels good. And that really what it is what it was about. It was about serving coffee that we wanted to source. It was about roasting in a way and presenting coffee in a way we wanted to do instead of trying to tell us some story that wasn't real to us. Yeah. So it's like when you think Eastlick Coffee, you think of Joel and Renata. You think of yeah. what what we're offering to the market that you can't find anywhere else or just doesn't taste the same as, as, as something else. So that was kind of how, how it started. And we had a good network of, of folks. And I'm always very community oriented when it comes to uh, supporting other coffee shops and, and just being open and honest about my business and what I do. And we were able to get a couple key early customers that helped us kind of survive in those early days. They always say, you know, you're going to start a business. Great. But who are you going to sell to? Oh, I don't know. Set up shop. Someone will walk through the door, you know, and it's like, no, it's not. It's not that you have to you have to find your folks yeah. that are going to be your hardcore supporters. Like, how did you make that connection, though? I mean, for, for you, I mean, I yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. But how did you make that happen for you in coffee with those key people? Uh, first of all, it's not being a stranger about who you are, what you do, and you have to support your other, your friends' businesses, you know? Yeah. Okay. You have to go to your neighborhood coffee shop and show up every day and be like, hi, I'm having my croissant and coffee again. And it's, it's, it's a chunk out of your budget, but you, you start, you get related. I'm not saying them, you buy your relationships, yeah. but you show that you're, you're supportive. Sure. And I'd go to everyone's coffee shop. If I had time down, I was, you know, I mm-hmm. was going in and saying hi to my barista friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that opened up a couple doors with a couple places. And then, you know, I knew some folks that were friends of mine that worked in offices, et cetera. And they were like, oh, we'll take five pounds, you know? Um, so I was able to kind of collect a couple customers early, early on just to keep the doors open, you know, right. keep, keep it enough pounds a week roasting that I could do it again the next week. And then, um, I was working, when I left my roasting job with the other company, I took a part-time job with a uh, coffee importing company called Crop the Cup. And they had a small coffee bar um, that I did like, you know, two shifts a week at. But I would buy all of my coffee mm-hmm. that I was selling through them. And their model at the coffee bar was to purchase back a small percentage from everybody they sold to. And they would serve it at their coffee bar. So it was a really good foot in the door there. They're like, well, we'll just we'll start buying our espresso blend from you. And that was a, you know, 30, 35 pounds a week, which, you know, coffee numbers, you know, like 35 pounds a week is that's you can't build your entire business around that. Yeah. But it can give you, you know, a good little early chunk of cash flow to keep yeah, things totally. going as you figure out how to find right. other customers. And, so, but But even in that. You had a transition period where you're kind of doing two things oh, yeah. at once, right? You know, it's not like you just said, all right, I'm going to quit everything I'm doing. And then I yeah. just went into this, this, I'm, I'm going to start roasting my own stuff. I yeah. mean, you really had to slowly move the ship in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, roasting is, 
could be an expensive advent, uh, expensive venture. It could be an adventure too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an expensive venture. You got to buy the machine. You got to get the space. You got to find. You got to get the permitting. You got to yeah. you know buy the pipes and the gas and all that. The the insurance, you know. Um, so I found a place where I was able just to rent time. It was a grocery that was already in existence, and they just they rented you know the machine out to me a couple hours a week. Um, so yeah, I had to kind of, it, it was the hustle, you know, we're yeah. talking about you know, New, New York. York. It, it's, it's, it's figuring it out. It's, it's without burying yourself in debt too. That was a big thing. Um, you know, every, everything costs money and we didn't want to, you know, put ourselves a hundred thousand in the hole, just trying to figure it out. You know, right. we wanted to yeah. figure it out and then get like a base and then, then you could put yourself in a little bit of a hole, but you already have the, the rotation of customers and, yeah. you know, the the invoices and the this and that. You know, you have the rotation where you can take on a little bit of of growth debt, if you will, yeah. which we we never had to do. You know, we we got I, we sold. I always say we, we started the company with two thousand dollars. You know, we basically reached out to friends and family and said, I'll give you coffee for a year if you can just give us some cash up front. You know, mm-hmm. and we were able to cobble together about $2,000. And through that, we were able to buy our first bag of coffee. And from there, we just, that the rotation started. Yeah. You know, the, the green coffee would turn brown. It'd go out to the to the customer. I'd get a, a, a paycheck, you know, on that, on that bill. And I would go buy more coffee. And little by little, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd be able to pay for the rental car because we lived in New York. And yep. I did, would just rent a car for a day to like drive up to the roastery because I'm not taking one of these on the subway, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So it was just, we cobbled it together with the hustle. We figured it out and, um, and we would do little, uh, like little farmer's markets. We do, you know, little like bazaars, you know, every, everybody in New York's hustling somewhere. And there's always these little like pop-up, you know, markets or i don't everybody would kind of bring their goods too and we would yeah. just get a little booth there and and just little by little we were able to you know spread the word and got a small following on instagram but you know people were, were liking what we were doing and yeah. the coffee i think was speaking for itself that was always important to me yeah. that the coffee would taste good so how long had you been in new york sorry when yeah. when you first started roasting um we officially we did our first roast November of 2015. Okay. So I got there May of 2013. So about two and a half years. Where did that first bag of beans come from? You mentioned you know, starting off with that first bag. That was a, it was from crop to cup and it was Ethiopian coffee. Mm-hmm. As, as the, as the history guy, I wanted to make sure I, I kind of honored Ethiopia. I wanted to, you know, there would be no other origin that we could start with if it wasn't the actual origin of coffee. You know, that mm. was that was kind of my thought. I love that. Me yeah. too. It's cool. Um, and then the second origin we brought on was Brazil because mm. I didn't mention it yet. You know, my wife Renata was from Miami, but she was born in Brazil. Um, and that's a huge part of her family culture is, is drinking coffee and her mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is probably one of our best customers, you know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> she'll, she'll drink 10 cups a day and we'll sleep away the night, you know, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So very uh, impressive, honorable. Yeah. And she's just, you know, huge fan of, of always have, has been supportive. So it was another thing about Brazil too, besides the personal connection, it's also the world's largest coffee producer. 
So we mm-hmm. kind of we always want to kind of tell the story a little bit about the coffee. We don't just serve coffee and then leave leave the drinker wondering. Yeah. There's always information available if you want it on the website or you will you know do some informative posts on Instagram just because we want to make sure people think about the coffee. Not in like some like you gotta think about this coffee, you yeah. know, but like just by hey, the information's there. Know that there's about a hundred hands behind this cup. You know, think about it, you know, just pause for half a second longer and go, this this thing's been on a journey, and that's gonna make it taste good. That's awesome. So yeah, but Brazil, world's largest coffee producer, has been for a hundred plus years. Um, it's a massive piece of land, you know, and and they just uh they have learned the business of coffee really really well so okay. it, it was an honor to ethiopia where it started but it's also an honor to to brazil recognizing that man they're really they're doing they're doing something crazy the what? amount of coffee they push out to the world is insane i yeah. i love how intentional every step like mm-hmm. each coffee that you thought through ethiopia being the birthplace of coffee and you wanted to honor that mm-hmm. and and then second being Brazil, which is the largest producer, but also where Renata is from. Yeah. It's so cool to me. And the other thing that I wanted to say, just that I was thinking about, is something that I really admire that I feel like I've seen is you and Renata both prioritize like pursuing what you love to do. Mm-hmm. And that's like your lives. Yeah. No, you we this I was no chance, especially if we're putting the last name on the bag, there's no chance that she wasn't gonna be a yeah. part of this and have Obviously, I'm the roaster, and I'm the the guy who's been the barista, and this and that. But there's no chance this doesn't happen without her, her moral support, her design support, her, you know, her just idea support. You know, um, yeah, she's never roasted a coffee. Ooh, that's fine. That, you know, I don't roast all. Of, I have I have a staff as well. I don't roast 100 percent of my own beans either. You know, um, but it is a very important thing that she has as much influence as she does on what we do and yeah i love that yeah and also that we're able to do it in a way where she can still pursue her her acting as it's basically she's full-time pursuing acting at yeah. this point um even though she comes to the roastery as much as she can you know yeah. and, and we we always talk business and there's not anything i would do without you know making it a team effort for sure so you mentioned awesome. building the personal brand and you did that in new york yeah and you're gaining momentum but mm-hmm. then you come back yeah to tampa what i mean you were you building miami, all those... new york yeah then D- tampa. define momentum no <laughs> well we, i mean you, you said you you did yeah. enough to make enough connections right that yeah you could support the business and 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 i don't know you maybe you wouldn't use the word thrive i don't know yeah. but we we could support paying our rent every month and then and then taking the the checking account down to zero. Yeah. So and how do you, how do you just all right? You you're sustainable. That's then, not sustainable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was really what I I thought. Then I don't mean to interrupt. No. But that, that's what I I thought. If we could just pay our rent every month, we're doing good. And then we we did that for a year, year and a half, two years. We were just paying rent, and mm. you know. But then it then it becomes the grind. The right. hustle converts to the grind, and the hustle's fun, but the grind is a grind. And I was like, I don't know what the next, without some sort of big investment or some sort of something breaking, something changing somewhere, I don't know how we move this thing forward. Yeah. And you're not selling yachts. No, like, I'm not selling yachts as yeah. a part-time. You selling know, get, coffee. Yeah, yeah. I'm selling coffee, you know. Um, and really, it was, it was Devotion. Okay. That 
when they opened up their location in Williamsburg, I don't know if you've been to that one on Grand yeah, Avenue, right next to the water, immaculate space, big skylight. You know, they had the, the plant wall. They were like the first, everybody's got a plant wall now, yeah. but <laughs> they were the first place I ever saw with a plant wall. And I was like, they must have spent $2 million on bringing, on bringing this thing to life. And their business model is FedExing raw coffee every two weeks to their facility. And then just the, the money, the astronomical yeah. amount of money. And I did, their, their business, you know, you learn about their business more now and you realize that they come from, you know, like a, a coffee growing family that has a long tradition. They've had a cafe in Bogota for 15 mm. years. You yeah. know, like they know what they're doing and they have support and backing. And they they came into New York City and just dropped money. Yeah. And I was like, and I was starting to see the tide turn in New York where coffee, the way I knew it has was like a punk rock, blue collar, you know, like pull yourself up by bootstraps, you know, get a get a small, you know, 500 square feet somewhere and just grind it out and like sell coffee three bucks at a time. That was how I envisioned how my coffee career would go when and if I opened a shop. And then Devotion comes in, drops $2 million on this beautiful, gorgeous spot. There's a line out the door. And some of my favorite shops started to lose customers. And some of my favorite mm. shops started to close. And I'm like, those were the model shops. I wanted to be that grimy kind of punk rock club right. side sort of like everybody's just slamming shots and you know like <laughs> but no coffee was starting to turn into this like beautiful thing which i love as well you know blue bottle you know the the glass and ceramic and, yeah. and, and brass and all that that spoke to me as well but i was like i can't afford to do that i have to do it you know i have to find eight thousand dollars here for an espresso mm. machine i gotta find $2,000 here for the brewing equipment and, you know, I've got to cobble it together and hopefully I can pay the, the, the square footage, you know, the 500 square feet on this little corner shop, you know, far away from the center of activity. That was how I thought of it without taking on so much investment because, you know, once again, I didn't want to get the mortgage or, or, or to get out the loan that I got to pay yeah. back for the next 20 years. Yeah. And, this and I was, I was thinking about all those things. And then Devotion comes in, drops $2 million. And I'm, I'm out. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. If I were to try to compete, little old me, taking out this loan, first of all, who's going to give me the money? Second of all, I don't want to be forced to do it that way. I'm going to have to right. pay back that loan for the next 20, 30 years. Like, I was like, how, how are we going to do this? And um, so that really, I didn't say, I wouldn't say I didn't spiral to depression or anything, but it really made me think and it made us look at each other like, are we going to keep doing this oh, i didn't mention this devotion was selling all of their wholesale coffee for two dollars cheaper than i was uh, and they had the brand and they had the look and i'm yeah. like oh man and they also are able to undercut like all the like the local guys prices you know and mm -hmm. not talking bad about them by the way like i i still go to the shop to this day like i appreciate what they're doing but i just had to realize for myself i was like i might need to we might need to find some where else or somehow else to do coffee. Yeah. And um, so I, pivot. Yeah, I had. Yeah, I had a pivot. Uh, we had our customers in New York and they were we had like this little pie shop, which God bless her. But she was like nine months behind on all of her payments, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd have to like hound her. I was like, please, can I have two hundred dollars this week? You know, and she'd be like, I can give you a hundred, you know, and I'm like. I can't do that. You know, I can't, I can't do that. Uh, they're out of business. You know, I've, I've lost a number of customers in New York that have gone out of business or they didn't renew their rent or 
New York just everything that happens in New York happens at a five times faster pace than anywhere else in the country. So things pop up quicker and they also close quicker. Longevity in New York is super tough. Um, and also the people who like the idea of having like the same crew coming through your coffee shop every morning and supporting you. And, you know, yeah. it's a new crop of customers every six months, it yeah. feels like. So um, I just we all of that looking at the bank account, looking at where everything was and. You know, she had had a lot of opportunities in acting, but, you know, it's a it's a um, feast or famine industry as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people that don't stop working for two years straight and then you never see them in another movie again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. some some it's it's one of those things. So you have to f- find the longevity in that career as well. So we just kind of looked at it and we're like, are we going to do this till we're 60 or, you know, are we going to be on the subway when it's when it's raining and, you know, there's a leak in the subway. I've I've been like dripped on right. from inside. You yeah. think you're gonna stay dry, but no. Yeah. There's the train breaks and the water channels in and you just get soaked and then you get out and you open up your umbrella and it you know, it flies away like it does in the movies. That's <laughs> yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. Or you see these mothers taking their kids up the strollers on this on the subway stairs on the elevated train and it's twenty degrees outside and you slip on the icy stairs. And I'm just like, I love this city so much, but are we gonna are we gonna do this yeah are we gonna do this for the next 20 years and we we kind of came to a decision we're like i don't i don't know if if we move when we move let's go back to florida and we'll figure it out down there but we didn't have like anything set in stone until pivot um i was at uh she was working a play and th- at this time too she was getting cast a lot at this theater down in st petersburg okay so she would be away for two months at a time and i'd be up in new york she'd be down here and then I had uh, got the roasting company up and going, and we started selling coffee to Foundation, mm. which is a, coffee, a lo- co- local coffee company here in Tampa. Mm. Um, and at that time, they're roasting for themselves now, but at that time, they were buying from other roasters. They had a multi-roaster program, and that was really where I was trying to get in, find any multi-roaster I could that would want our product. And I knew, I knew Kurt. I knew him through um, some mutual friends. Even though I've been away from Tampa from a lo- for a long time, I still had a group of friends that I'd always check in with and we stayed buddies throughout the years. And then a lot of them just kind of ended up in coffee. Um, So I met Kurt through some of those connections. Anytime I was in Tampa, I'd go to Buddy Brew, I'd go to Foundation, you know, Um, this was probably 2016 ish, um, 2017. And then uh, anyway, they were carrying my coffee. Renata was in St. Petersburg doing a play. So I, I flew down to go see the play and mm-hmm. see my parents and also to taste my own coffee at a, a, yeah. at a coffee bar, which yeah. is like a fun experience for yeah. me. And uh, when I was at Foundation, I don't know how it happened, but a guy comes up to me and goes, are you Joel Eastlick? Said, yeah, I am. Who are you? And he goes, I'm here. You went to high school with my wife. And she, you posted on Facebook that this shop is here and they're serving your coffee. So we came in and we love it, you know? And, oh, cool. Turns out this guy is good buddies with one of the co-founders of Made, the the canned the the canned cold brew company, and they were just getting off the ground. And he basically introduced me to the guys at Made and said, "Listen, they're looking for like roasting consulting. They don't know anything about roasting. They're buying from these other brands at the time, but they have their own roaster on the way. They just need somebody who can like set the program up, kind of start some sourcing relationships, and also kind of design their roast profiles." And, you know, I was like, 
you might have a conversation there. So I took it back to Renata and I said, what do you think, you know, if we move our business in with MADE and just kind of consult with them in-house until we figure something out, but down in Florida. And we ended up saying yes to that opportunity. So in March of 2017, we moved down back to Tampa, moved in with my parents, you know, left the city behind, going straight to like my old high school bedroom was like a culture shock sure, yeah, for yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, but we, you know, I started going down to made every day and they, they installed their machine and we got it up and running and I retained some of my customers up in New York, but also, you know, kind of reestablished myself as a Tampa local. Um, once again, same thing when I was in New York, I'd just go to all the coffee shops and I'd befriend everybody. One of the first things we did is we took a whole day and just went from shop to shop drinking shots. We wanted to taste where where the Tampa St. Pete scene was at, what did the coffee taste like, who was selling what, and we uh, went, you know, probably had six or seven shots of coffee that, you have espresso that day, and got, you know, the lay of the land, and basically told all the pals, hey, we're back, we're here, we want to be a part of the scene, and we're moving everything down, and we want to, you know, we want to sell our coffee here in Tampa, too, and um, it was a slow go at the beginning as well, but we made a couple good relationships. And now we, you know, fast forward to 2021, we have our businesses as viable as, as it's ever been. Um, and we're you know selling more coffee weekly than we ever have. And we have some really good relationships. And I'm really feeling, feel like the coffee's in a good place and people are very happy with the coffee. So um, we still sell to, one place in New York. It's a bar that does like brunch service on the weekends. Okay. So, you know, it's not like a coffee shop or anything, but like that's our last little foothold up there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was actually just up there two weeks ago and the scene's so different. There's so many places, mm-hmm. you know, after, especially after COVID, the scene's a lot different. A lot of the old homies are not there anymore. They moved on to like desk jobs in coffee or some work for Oatly now, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, it's not, you can't stay, I guess not, you can't stay a late 20s barista forever. You know, some people always, you know, will move on to something. But, uh, but yeah, that, that I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of took over and just started talking. I, no, I love Perfect. it. Perfect. Telling the story. Yeah. I love it. But that's, uh, that's where we're at today. We have a lot of great local customers. I have a second business um, that does importing. That's what you can see right here. We're surrounded by about, I don't know, Seven thousand pounds of coffee. It's <laughs> a lot of coffee. Um, I met back when I moved uh, here in 2017. Uh, I met my business partner in, in Yellow Rooster Coffee Imports. Now is what we call it. And uh, he's his name is Jimmy. He's originally from Colombia. He had a lot of connections on the ground level in Latin America, and I had a lot of connections on the roasting scene. You know, and uh, I was a regular cupper. I cupped and you know tasted coffees all the time so i kind of knew where i wanted to be with quality i'm pretty tuned in with where the american industry is is at with sort of what they're looking for is far as specialty coffees concerned coffee quality etc so we just started a business and started designing a portfolio and that was 2018 and here we are now 2021 with two warehouse spaces and you know a lot of customer we had customers in the Northeast, out in California, Texas, uh, Aruba. We sell coffee to this guy in Aruba. He just opened up his second shop. Um, we have partners in New Zealand that are, are doing um, Yellow Rooster New Zealand. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's it's all coffee. I, I, I Renata has known since we first met that I wanted to go all in on coffee. Yeah. 
you know, I've, I've always said, I don't know what, I don't know how. I thought it was going to be a shop, but I wanted to push all my poker chips into the table and say, however it is, I want to work in coffee because I love the beverage. I love the people. Mm-hmm. I love the just the humanity of it, you know, a, a product that comes from the soil that's enjoyed by literally billions of people across the world that creates, you know, tabletop connect, connections. That's what I'm all about. So. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I, I talk so much. I feel uh, no, bad about I, that. I know. I love it. I, we're really here for you. And yeah. and it's been cool for me to get to know you a little bit better over the last few years because mm. I was really interested in coffee but didn't have much more than months of experience and then just my own personal obsession yeah. in coffee. Um, but you, as soon as you guys came down here, I the one thing I did see that you... I, I don't even know how to, to define it, but that you um, made a priority was like connecting with people yeah. and having genuine relationships and loving on baristas. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like Eastlit Coffee Roasters has been so successful. Mm. You guys have been so loving to so many people here yeah. that everybody's like, I want in. I want to be a part of what this is. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, that, that's been encouraging to me, even starting a new venture of opening up a coffee shop and interacting with people who are either brand newbies to coffee mm-hmm. or have been coffee aficionados for years and years on end. Yeah. It's just really loving those people and having genuine connection with them. But that's a real, I, that, for me, that's a staple of my experience in the coffee world in general. Mm-hmm. You come across some random people who might have their nose up a little bit. Um, but for for the most part people do understand that coffee is like a communal effort yeah there's a lot of people involved and i feel like you guys have really championed that well as we close out our conversation there's one thing that i have been thinking about is that you found your dream when you're in spain as a mm-hmm. as a younger person 20 22 you're right long right? time ago now you chased down your dream and now you're living it you're yeah. living it out and you're continuing to chase it. But there are people who are probably listening that have a dream, mm-hmm. whether it's in coffee or it's in something else. Like, what would you say to that person who sees it, but it might seem impossible or they're looking at the person that they're working with and they're like, how do you make your money? And they're like, this isn't my main thing. Mm-hmm. This is just for fun. Yeah. Um, like, uh, what advice would you have to that person who is dreaming about right. what they're passionate about, but doesn't know how to get there? It- in a way, I, 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 the first thing that comes to my mind is like, don't ever give up, right? which is true. But I also know and admit readily that I, I have a, that doesn't just, not giving up doesn't just start. Like mm-hmm. that comes from a long history of, of learning, observing. Um, my parents have been very supportive, you know? as much as they can obviously like yeah no one no one has emptied their bank account for this business except except for me and my Mm -hmm. wife um because we've we've been very like careful to not have to put those asks on people yeah um but i do you know i don't know they i come from a structure that has allowed me to kind of explore like i i do feel uh, a certain we we talk about it all the time. Her parents are the best as well. Or, you know, we come from a place where it's like we we can explore a little bit because mm-hmm. we we know that if it all crashes and burns, like we could still sleep on their couch. 
mm. you know? And I'm not, I don't, I don't know if everybody even has that opportunity and I want to be sensitive to that, you know? Yeah. But you have to position yourself in a way where you can find that support network, even if it's just emotional support, you know, mm-hmm. um, and which in our case, it has been a lot of emotional support. Like I said, no one except for us has emptied our bank accounts to make this business happen. Um, we have worked 80 hour work weeks, you know, at times we have worked multiple jobs to make it happen. We have had tears to make it happen, you know, so, um, and we've had joy to make it happen as well. So to, you, you have to be in that position in your, in your mind and your spirit to like, yeah, if you have a dream, there's nothing else to do, but to go after it, you yeah. know, like. And I know that's going to look different for everybody. You know, right. I want to be like, I, I want to repeat, I want to be very sensitive to that. I know it's not all going to look the same. I know some people are going to have some different routes they're going to have to travel. But uh, we just, we, I, I couldn't do anything else. Honestly, at the end of the day, I, I tried not to work in coffee. <laughs> I worked, you know, yeah. the, the, the economy crashed and I, I felt forced out to, you know, find something more stable. But my my mind wouldn't let it go. My heart wouldn't let it go. And I felt myself melting away, like rotting away mm-hmm. at, at the desk every day. So I left a, you know, stable working position. Like I said, I had health insurance. I had, you know, salary coming in every two weeks. I had, you know, my, my scheduled vacation, 10 days off a year, plus bank holidays, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> right. And uh, I left it off to make seven twenty-five an hour plus tips, and I was lucky to be able to do that. You know, I was lucky that I didn't need to, you know, parlay that seven twenty-five into, you know, ten different directions. I was able to just have my needs met, and yeah, it, it's it's a it's a it's a tough thing to say. I just I couldn't let it go, so I had I had to figure out how to do it. Yeah. You know, I had to take jobs grunt grunt work Mm -hmm. you know when i got up when i left even when i got to new york working for that bakery uh when i left that bakery i i joined the production team at the roasting it wasn't i didn't go straight to the roasting machine and say all right i'm I'm roasting now it was no wake up at 5 a.m you know get to the production facility at you know 6 30 stamp 500 bags, you know, fill 500 bags, then get in the delivery vehicle and drive all across Manhattan, you know, get parking tickets, have your boss yell at you, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) And uh, I did that for for a year and a half, two years. And then, you know, I started, I I learned how to, I started learning how to roast, you know, but I still was on the production team. I was still roasting and bagging. I still had to take three barista shifts a week and be on my feet nine hours, 10 hours a day mowing down lines of tourists you know yeah. who spoke multiple different languages or didn't understand what you were trying to do or wanted sugar that you didn't offer or wanted a syrup that you didn't have and have to navigate all that and then finish those 10-hour shifts and then take the you know take the subway home and just yeah. you know like literally just crash on the way home and then go right home and fall right to bed again you yeah, know right I don't want to romanticize anything. Yeah. It, it it has taken a lot of, and it still takes. It still takes so much, you yeah. know. Like, um, I I spend a lot of time working on work, yeah. but 
it has brought me so much satisfaction and joy and and it, you kind of make the sacrifices you know and that's going to look different it's interesting you were talking earlier when we started this conversation about you know the your own brand mm-hmm. but in many ways i feel like you don't all of those experiences and the grind and dealing with people and meeting needs not being able to meet people's expectations yeah. whatever it is i mean it, it seems to all contribute to who you are today the fact that you do care so much about the entire process that you yeah. spend time going to all the the local shops and getting to know people you know if you just woke up one day and had the dream mm-hmm. i don't know if you'd be able to sustain the dream because mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to relate and it i mean Man, you've done it all, and yeah. uh, I, I think that's reflective of who you are uh, as a person and, and, and your brand. Totally, yeah. and I think it's it was really important what you said about everybody's different experience. I think it was really critical to know that it is super important to find that support mm-hmm. in anybody yeah. that believes in you and is willing, even if it's just emotional, is able to say, like, I see what you're dreaming of, mm-hmm. and I think you can do it. Yeah. And then you made a commitment, even though you went on that journey of working the desk job and then coming back to what you wanted to do, you made a commitment. And at least from what we're hearing today, like you did a lot of listening, listening mm-hmm. to people who said, Hey, you do need to make a brand with your name. Yeah. And you sat next to roasters and learned how to roast yeah. and you studied the history and that meant yeah. a lot to you. And all of these things have incorporated into what you do now that you just didn't stop moving forward. Yeah. After knowing, like, you have the support, this is how I'm going to live. Yeah. And it's what I want to do forever. There's there's no way to do what I do without traveling the path I I, 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 I could never have done what I did reading it from a book. Mm. You know, I never could have sped up the process in any way. I never could be doing what I'm doing and having the understanding that I do. And this is not toot my own horn at all it's just i'm telling you what i needed to go through in order to understand how i do business and how i want to treat people and how i want to source coffee and how i want to roast coffee those saturday mornings at the food hall you know i'm you know 20 customers line for eight hours straight that builds something in you that gives you a different understanding a different perspective um and that has that has been important to me. Those those 5 a.m. subway rides in February when it's four degrees outside to get to the roasting facility, you know, that builds something in me, you know, and that that won't that won't be that's that can't be taken away. That's that's my experience. That that that. that builds and that that crafts and that shapes how I I approach everything I do. Every time I wake up in the morning, I have those memories. I have those. I, I knew what that took at that time. And that that inherently changes how I would do it otherwise if I had just read it in a book yeah you know or watched a YouTube video on latte art which is yeah. nothing wrong with that but it's, right. a, it's a different type of experience you know yeah well Joel so, thank you for mm-hmm. allowing Seriously. us to come into your space yeah and and hear more about your story um, we appreciate we appreciate personally what you do um, yeah. we enjoy it and Literally. we look forward to seeing more from Eastlick and uh, Yellow Rooster, yeah. the, whole, the whole schmear. And we know that you are a big part of that. So, yeah. No, so thank, thank you. you. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Ground to Earth is produced by David Furry, Josiah Kent, and Roy Seringo. Editing by Roy Seringo and David Gardner. Video by Roy Seringo and David Gardner. 
Music is by David Furry, Riley Thornton, and Josiah Kent. Thanks for getting ground to earth with your hosts, Josiah Kent and myself, David Furry. See you next time.